both. My name is Mike Devine. I'm the pastor here at Arbor Point Church, and it's a blessing to, to be here with you this morning. Um, we are finishing up the series, not a fan series. It asks us the question, are you a fan or a follower? And um, today we're going to uh, look at a simple question, but it's an important one. Is Jesus enough? And our passage is out of John chapter 6. It's a little bit longer uh, passage, so uh, go with me on it. Beginning at verse 1, some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him and said, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough, enough bread to, to have each of these folks have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and so they sat down. It was about 5,000 men who were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, then withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And after that, his disciples got into a boat, and they were headed across the water. Jesus himself was not with them at that moment, so he took off to go out to the boat, walking on the water out to, to where they were, which freaked the disciples out, but Jesus was was used to freaking the disciples out. Um, after Jesus calmed them down, uh, they went on to the opposite shore, and the crowd finally figured out where he was, and we return in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. So when we started this series, we were in this chapter as well. See, great crowds were traveling with Jesus. He, he, by now, he was at the height of his popularity. People were coming to see him. Word had spread about the miraculous healings, about his inspirational teaching. 
and huge crowds gathered to cheer him on. We're told in this instance that there were 5,000 men, which meant that there were more people than that because they, would, they were only identifying the men. So it was a crowd likely two to three times that size when you included women and children. It's a big crowd that, that he's teaching to. So he asked Philip, he, he says, so how are we going to feed these? How, how are we going to do this? And Philip, of course, seeing it from his own perspective, says, you know, we don't have enough money. It'd take way more money than we've got in order to, to do this. I mean, we wouldn't even be able to give them a bite of food. Andrew, though, who for some reason had been scanning the crowd, probably going, I wonder what Jesus is going to do with this group of people. He had recognized that there was a boy there who had, who had five loaves and two small fish. And so he tells that to Jesus. He says, well, there's a Will is over there, and, and he has five loaves and two fish. Probably going, okay, now, okay, that, there's your answer. Now what, Jesus, what are you going to do? What, what's up? And Jesus, of course, didn't dis- disappoint, right, because he takes those five loaves and two fish, and he feeds a multitude of people, somewhere between five and 15,000 people, a lot of people. And I- after everybody had ate, they filled up baskets of food that was left over. And so after dinner, the crowd decides they're going to hang out <laughs> so they can be with Jesus in the morning. They are committed fans of Jesus. But the next morning, the crowd wakes up. They're hungry again. They're ready for a little breakfast. They check the menu and look for the, look for the cook, and, and he's not there. Jesus is not there. Eventually, they figure out that Jesus and his disciples had gone to the other side of the lake. So instead of going home, they actually make the trip to the other side of the lake to be with Jesus. The crowd seems to have no higher priority than being with Jesus. Maybe... Maybe these are more than just fans after all. And by the time they catch up with Jesus, they're hungry. They haven't had breakfast. They're, they're hungry for lunch. They, they want to know, okay, we're here. You fed us last night. Well, now what? Now what are you going to give to us? But Jesus has shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not handing out any more free samples. Verses 26 and 27, he says, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Remember our first message. Remember the DTR? You remember what DTR means? It means define the relationship. So this is Jesus with the crowd having a DTR talk. We're going to define this relationship between you and me. Because it's not just about me giving you a miracle here and a miracle there. It's not just about me providing food for you to eat to fill up your body. It's much more than that. He knows that these people are going to all the trouble and sacrifice, not because they're just following him, but because they're following the food. So what are you going to do when that's taken away? In verse 35, Jesus offers himself. But the question is, would that be enough for them? Is Jesus enough? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. There's three points this morning. The first one is this. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, 
you find out if he's the one you're really hungry for. When Jesus is the only one on the menu, you find out if he's really what you're hungry for. When there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. When you're at the end of your rope and, and, and your choices have dwindled, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. I'm going to tell you about a few folks who went from fan to follower. These are people who found out what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. A gentleman named Ed came forward after being let go from his job. He was an executive living an executive lifestyle. He wasn't sure how he was going to, he got, he got let go from his job. He wasn't sure how he was going to pay the bills. That stress was taking its toll, not just on his marriage, but also on his health. For the first time in his life, he wasn't self-sufficient. He wasn't able to just do it by himself. Couldn't pull himself up by his bootstraps. Also, for the first time in his life, his prayers weren't just repetitive phrases he'd learned as a child. He was really in need, and he was desperate. Desperation can be a wonderful gift for us. He was desperate, so he turned to God in a way that he never would have done if he hadn't lost that job. It was easy to be a fan of Jesus making half a million dollars a year. But for the first time in his life, it wasn't enough to be a fan, and he became a follower. Kathy was married for more than 20 years when her husband decided he wanted to be single. And since she was a girl, she had gone to the same church. Because of the divorce, she was no longer welcome in that church. She came to the church broken and bitter, but for the first time, this lifelong church girl began to see how the Bible speaks directly to us. Each weekend, she said she felt like God was speaking right to her. You ever had that happen where, where you're in a service and, and it's like, okay, can, well, you've been following me around or something because God is, is in there and, and is on you. Now, that's where she was. And she decided to listen. And in her loneliness, bitterness, depression, she heard this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you the words of Jesus, and she became a follower. Then there was June. Her car was struck by a semi, and she died instantly. She was a wonderful Christian lady. She was always at the church, always praying for her husband, Bob. Bob would come once a year on Mother's Day, and he had the once a year on Mother's Day look. You could tell he wasn't enthused to be there, but he loved his wife. And so he was going to come, and, and he did that for her every year. At the funeral, for the first time, Bob was really listening. Like maybe God was speaking to him in that moment. And a few weeks later, he walked down the same aisle that his wife June's casket had come down. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm ready. And in that moment, he became a follower of Christ. And you probably have stories that you could tell, too, of people in your life, a daughter diagnosed with cancer, parents got divorced, the addiction seems unbeatable, a future seems overwhelming, a relationship fell apart, and something happened. Suddenly, having a little bit of religion isn't enough. Suddenly, the spectacle, the fish and the loaves, the Sunday service, those things don't cut it. And in those moments, those times, that's when we find out 
You see, when if Jesus is the only thing on the menu, if, the, if Jesus is the only one left, that's when we find out if he's what we really need and who we're willing to follow. He's more than a guy wearing a blue sash. He becomes our hope. In John 6, the crowd had to, had to decide, is Jesus enough? Are they hanging around for the perks, or is it really the relationship that he's offering? And if you remember from a few weeks back, the fans in verse chapter 6, verse 66, the fans turn and go home. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And in the long run, that's what is going to happen. Scripture tells us that wide is the road that leads to destruction. In the end, whether we like it or not, most people are going to say no. They're not going to accept Christ's invitation. They like the idea of heaven. They certainly like the miracles. They, they like the bread. They like the show. They like the chance to be around a lot of people. They like the excitement. But when Jesus wipes all that off the table and offers himself, when he defines the relationship and asks, am I enough for you? They aren't interested. And after many of his followers left, Jesus turns to the 12. And I imagine he turns to the 12 with sadness in his heart. When he asks them, you don't want to leave too, do you? Look at it this way. How would it feel if you started to date someone and you took them to the movies for the first date and you, you paid for the tickets and you paid for the popcorn? It went really well and you had such a great time that you asked them out again and you took them to a restaurant and had a wonderful meal and, and, and great conversation and, and, it was, and, and you really feel like you're connecting and, and it's, it's going great. You pick up the tab and then, and then you, you go on a third date and it goes great. You, you, know, you pay for everything, but it goes really, really well. And it's going so well that you, that you call them up and you say, hey, I want to go on a very special date. And you go over and you pick them up and you take them to the park. And you, and you go and you sit down on a bench and, and you pour your heart out to them. And you say, this is going so well. I really care for you. I, I want to be with you. And they look at you and they say, is this it? This is our date? I thought we were going to go do something fun. That would hurt, right? Jesus had to endure that when he went to the crowd and he offered who he was and to, uh, without all the, all the perks. So he goes to his disciples. You don't want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one. And that's point two, is that when you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave him. 
when you really know Jesus is Lord, you don't want to go anywhere else. Peter's answer sums it up. <laughs> to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? And that one question seems to ask thousands of questions that go along with it. Who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us the wisdom that, that you teach us? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Who could ever lead the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find someone like you? See, fans will bail on Jesus when the teaching gets difficult, and there are some difficult teachings of Jesus. When he asks them to sacrifice, which he asks of us, when he asks us to take up the cross, our cross, and follow him, when he asks us to die to ourselves that he might be glorified, fans have a hard time with that, and they tend to go away. See, it requires faith, but they want proof. See, I think if they were guaranteed a ticket to heaven, if, if it were guaranteed, if, if they had full assurance that Jesus is the Son of God, if they could completely and 100% positively know that following Jesus would lead to an eternity of bliss and worship and joy in the presence of the Lord, I'm pretty confident that they would stick with it. If it was 100%. I mean, who wouldn't, right? But it requires faith. And we want proof. If all of us believed and knew with every ounce of our being, we'd have a much easier time swallowing some of the tougher portions of Scripture. If all of us knew and believed that Jesus was Lord, I think we'd approach sharing our faith in a very different way. We'd be more bold in sharing. But we have a problem. We wish we could have it all laid out. We wish God would write it in the sky. We wish he'd give us a vision. We wish he'd speak audibly to us. We wish he'd send an angel or give us some unmistakable sign that he is alive and in charge and Jesus is his son, that he'd w walk through the door and go, hey, here I am. But life's not like that, is it? It requires faith, but we want proof. And it wasn't that like that for the disciples either, by the way. Sure, they got to see some of the miracles, and, it, and they got to experience being with Jesus and, and, and those things. But eventually, they had to choose to know and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Choosing to know and believe is a choice we have to make just like the disciples had to make. Because if we would believe with the same fire and passion that the disciples had, our lives would look completely different. In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough. Whether or not you'll choose to move from being a fan to being a follower and what that means in your life. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Those are the two guarantees we will all die and we will all stand before God. When that moment comes to all of us, there's really only one question that's going to matter. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Now, if I could, I'd ask that question a little bit differently because it's a very personal question. 
said, I, would, I wish I would, could walk over to your house and knock on your door and you'd invite me in and we'd sit down at the kitchen table and I'd be across from you and I'd look you in the eye and ask you the question. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Many of you would nod your head and say, yes, of course, I, I'm a follower, but why do you say that? Because I'm not asking if your parents are followers of Jesus. I'm not asking if you go to church once a week. I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because one day there are many who will say, I am a follower, who will stand before God and be declared fans. And the last point this morning is we don't know the day, but we know his name. The name above all names. See, we don't know the day that Christ is going to return. We don't know when health might fail or when finances might plummet or when we'll die. We don't know those things. And those are things we're not going to know. But even though we don't know those things, we know his name. And his is the name that saves. See, none of us want to be declared fans on Judgment Day. I know that. None of us. And I know we aren't offered the guarantees that we always want, like walk through the door of Jesus and I'll believe, you know. But it's not that there aren't guarantees, because Jesus tells us clearly, if you put your trust in him, he's not going to fail you. Put your trust in him, he won't fail you. If you stake, his, stake your life on his message of truth, that's why he put his life on a cross, so that you could follow him. And if you believe and become a follower of Jesus Christ, he will give you an eternity with his Father who is in heaven. See, we don't know the name, but we know, or we don't know the day, but we know the name. And it's by his name alone that men are saved. It is by the name of Christ alone that we are saved. But you have to decide. Each of us has to do that. I have had to decide for myself. We have to answer that question, are you a fan or a follower? And what does that look like in your life? Are there things that I'm withholding from God because I want to keep doing what I'm doing? Are you a fan or a follower? My hope, of course, is that we answer as Peter did. Where, where am I going to go? You have words of eternal life. You are the light and the salt. If you'll bow with me. Father, for each of us in this place, we come as we are, and you love us in that place, but you ask us to become who you have called us to be. And so, Lord, as, as, we, as we move forward in our lives, open our eyes to those things that you would take from us, that you would have us give to you, that we could more fully live into the promise that you give to us. 
of eternity, certainly. But, Lord, you promise to be with us every day. So we pray for your presence. Amen.